If you'll please find your seat. As you find your seat, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Did anybody else have a little taste of heaven so far? Wow, what an incredible uh, worship set we've already enjoyed. And how wonderfully has that prepared us to come to God's word as we continue to worship him. For those of you who keep track of these kind of things, uh, Jack, great job this morning. Uh, Our own Reggie is in Colorado. Pray for him. Uh, He's uh, leading worship and preaching God's word in a PCA in Colorado. I love it. They want him to wear a robe. And and then he's like, can I wear sandals? They're like, no. And uh, and how about a bow tie? No. And uh, he's got, so I think he's got a dark suit. I I, I offered him one of mine. Can you imagine? I thought that'd be hilarious. But uh, anyway, you need to pray for our brother. He's probably getting up and getting ready to lead others in worship. Hey, what do you do? How has God wired you to handle a difficult situation? You know, those things in life that are really, really challenging. What do you do? I mean, some of you amaze me. And some of you seem to be wired that when you come to those really difficult things, you, you want to jump right in. You want to roll up your sleeves and you want to uh, uh, kind of fix it. Kind of like me. <laughs> Whatever. Or there's other of us that kind of want to go around it. Want to avoid it. Want to say, you know what? That looks awfully difficult. Is there a better way to get around this? If scripture had warning signs, kind of like those signs you see right before you go on a high-speed roller coaster. You know those signs that seem to be more and more prevalent, especially as uh, people are getting injured on those. But as, if, if scripture had warning signs saying, danger, you're about to head into some deep waters. This passage of scripture that we are about ready to launch into, it would have some warning signs. Now really, it's, it's a difficult passage. I mean, let me tell you the truth. It's the most difficult passage that I have ever tried to study, exegete, and preach. And there's parts of it, it's difficult not because it's got a really weighty message to tell us. There's a great message that we got to hear. But it's difficult in its interpretation and trying to understand it. It's one of those things you just want to scratch your head and say, now let me read that again. And it's by God's grace, I'm able to to have the commentaries out. I'm able to open up the original language and and read what those who've gone before me have said about this passage. It's amazing because some go this way, some go that way, some go over here. As a matter of fact, it was Martin Luther who said this. Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, he said of today's passage of scripture, and I quote, a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament. So I don't know for certain just what Peter means. Well, I want you to know I'm, I'm tempted to jump over it and really avoid having to go through these deep waters and say, hey, listen, we've got some good stuff here, Peter. Let's go to something a little bit easier. But you know that we're committed to God's word, all of it. And we need to hear all of it. And the beauty is, I needed to hear this text. I needed to roll up my sleeves and dig in. So let me encourage you, if you have sleeves, you want to unbutton them and roll them up and dig in. This morning's going to be a little bit different. Uh, We'll probably be flipping back and forth in different passages. uh, And there's a lot for us today. But as we proceed, really, it's it's good to be reminded 
of what some will call the infallible rule of interpretation. Don't I sound smart talking like that? I'm hoping I'm impressing you a little bit. Um, Well, the infallible rule of, of interpretation means this, that when you come to Scripture and you have a really hard spot of Scripture, you want Scripture to interpret Scripture. You want to say, okay, God, you're not necessarily speaking really, really clearly in this passage. I may not know exactly what you mean. And so what we need to do is go to look at all of Scripture and let God's work speak to us in its totality. Kind of like this. If we were to dissect a frog this morning, the whole sanctuary would probably smell like formaldehyde. And, and you know, I can't stand that stuff. You know, it's smell of formaldehyde and it gets in your clothes and your hand. And it would ruin our complete fish fry. And by the way, if we were dissecting frogs in here, that'd be really weird. And that would be kind of nervous for all of us. But if we were dissecting a frog in here today, thank you for the laughter. I thought it was funny. I mean, when I, when I wrote that in, I thought, man, this is good. People are going to be in the, in the aisle about this one. If we were to dissect a frog and we were to take an important part of his anatomy out and lay it on the table and say, let's discover what this is. I mean, what does this do? How does it work? The danger would be is if we separate it from the totality of the frog. I mean, really, we got to see that small part in the midst of the whole. Does that make sense? And so as we dissect this verse, we take out God's word and we separate it. We got to make sure that we see how it fits into the whole. What light does all of scripture shed on this? Because here's the beautiful thing, and I promise you this, as difficult as the passage we're about to read is, it's a diamond, and it's beautiful. And really what it does, it sits perfectly into the midst of the rest of this book and the rest of the story. He's telling the Christians, he says, you know what, I know you're suffering, I know you're suffering a great deal, and I know there's some really bad stuff happening to you, but suffering's going to lead to glory. Suffering's going to lead to life. It has for our Savior Jesus, and it will for you. We're really going to look at verses 19 through, 30, through 22 in chapter 3. But for us to get even a start on this, we've got to go back to 18. So let's be mindful. Although it's hard and although we're wrestling with it, this is God's very own word. He's not only left us alone uh, with this, but he's given us the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to pray after I read it to ask the Spirit to come and open up our minds and help us dissect this incredible passage. Let's read God's word together. On verse 18, I've already preached on 18 um, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, but we're going to go back and pick this up so that we can see what Peter's saying. There's such good news. Listen, my brothers and sisters. For Christ also died for sins once and for all. The just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, it's going to be important for us to keep that in the Spirit there. In which also He went, Jesus went, in which also, what does that mean? It means this, in the Spirit of Jesus, He also went and made proclamation. Your Bibles may say He preached. Really the word there is to, uh, it could be to preach, but it's really more to make proclamation. It's not preaching the good news. But anyway, let's keep going. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, 
were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, or really a type of that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subject to him. Crystal clear, isn't it? All right, let's pray together. Father God, I confess uh, that there's part of me that wants to run. This is hard. This is deep water. You really might have wanted to put a warning sign next to this. And yet, more importantly than a warning sign is your Holy Spirit. Father, thanks for speaking. And thank you for speaking through your uh, authors like, uh, your writers like Peter. That you used all their gifts and abilities. Didn't rob them of their style. And yet you breathed upon them your word. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's everything that we need, all that we need that points us to you. And tells us what you require of us and that who you are. And Father, we ask that your spirit would come with power, with power this morning. It's my custom to pray before I preach that you would do that which only you would do. And that's open up ears to hear your voice and open up minds to understand your word. And and make our hearts pliable to understand and embrace and empower our feet. And you know it's my custom, God, that I'll pray that whatever is just my opinion or is wrong, or they will quickly fall away. And, and Lord, this morning, we need that more than ever. We need you to speak and speak clearly. And Father, the things that I say that are wrong or I just didn't get it yet, God, may they fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory. And we receive great joy and encouragement because I know that it is right here before us in this text. We thank you for it in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Well, as you, you read this text, I mean, immediately there's some questions that are going to start bubbling to the surface. I mean, in verse 19, it says, In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits that are now in prison. Some of the things we might want to ask are questions like this. What did Jesus preach or proclaim? What was he doing? It says clearly that he went, he has gone somewhere, that he is making proclamation. Now the first thing is this. Is he preaching or is he proclaiming victory? Is he preaching a a, a sermon of repentance? Is he preaching the good news of Christ Jesus, that he is the light of the world, that darkness will not prevail, that he has come to set us free? Is he preaching the gospel? And to whom is he preaching it? Or is he proclaiming victory? Is what he is doing is really not so much preaching in hopes that those who hear will repent, or in more, and I think this is more what he's doing, he's proclaiming the reality that God wins. He's proclaiming the reality that the darkness that covered the earth when the earth began and that when God spoke in light and the light took away the darkness and the darkness that continues to try to cover the land even now, the reality that darkness doesn't win. 
He proclaims the unbelievable reality that God would love us so much that he would send his only begotten son, the word made flesh, to come into this dark world. And there's really good news. The darkness did not not only understand it, the darkness did not overcome it. There's such good news. Jesus is proclaiming victory for what he has come to do to seek and to save sinners and to open up heaven for sinners like us. He's proclaiming victory because you know what? Sometimes it feels like we're losing. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like maybe uh, this Christianity, uh, that we're, we're on the losing team? Uh, maybe we're so outnumbered. I mean, can you can, look what's happening in the world? I mean, I, Iran is about ready to have nuclear power if they only already have it. And you know, they're going to probably use it in North Korea. And we see that, that those that we fear and those that we would call our enemies seem to be arming themselves. I mean, Armageddon seems around, and they're on the cordon, corner. I mean, the end of the world seems right there. It seems like we're losing so much ground. Do you ever feel that way? I do. You ever feel like we're just in this little corner of Maitland trying to say good news and no one's really listening? And nothing's really happening? And we really feel outnumbered? And sometimes our Christian message just doesn't seem to be gaining any ground. Well, what Jesus is doing here is he's proclaiming victory. All that God has promised is yes in Christ. All that we desire has found in Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? What was he doing? Was he preaching or proclaiming? Was he proclaiming judgment or salvation? And when did Jesus actually go do this? Now, now just hang with me, okay? Because I know this is a little bit different, but this is important. Because the church has thought different ways about this. When did this preaching take place? Is this the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ? That before Jesus became man. And then we're going to look at a passage very soon in chapter 1. If you look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it talks about in the Old Testament before Jesus came that the prophets spoke in the spirit of Jesus. And the beauty is, is there's one story from God creating the heavens and earth and to us being ushered into the kingdom. There's one story and there's one Messiah. And ultimately there's one voice preaching throughout time and it's Jesus. And it says very clearly in 1 Peter 1 that the spirit of Christ was in those prophets and priests of the Old Testament proclaiming good news. So what is Jesus preaching? Is he preaching and talking about Noah here in a few minutes? Is this the pre-incarnate Christ, which means Jesus existing before he came to Bethlehem as a man preaching? Or some would think that this is Jesus in between that time where he died and he was resurrected, the pre-resurrected Jesus. I mean, what was he doing for three days? Now, it's true, Scripture does tell us that today you'll be with me in paradise on the cross. But it was also true that his body was in a tomb for three days. And even our Apostles' Creed says that he died and descended into hell. And he rose again from the third day. What is this descending into hell? And many will look at this verse as, as proof text that he descended into prison. That this is the pre-resurrected Jesus Who's preaching? Well, let me ask you a question. Who's he preaching to? Would Jesus go to hell and preach a good, good news message to those who will never receive it? Is that when he is going? 
Or is this the post-resurrected Jesus when he's being resurrected? He's proclaiming victory. Now, I know you guys are doing great. You're still tracking with me. But we're going to ask the question, what did Jesus actually preach? When did he actually preach? And who are those spirits? And who are those spirits that are in prison? And it's an interesting word here because spirits is in the plural. And oftentimes when it talks about a human spirit, it's in the singular. And so many will think this is Jesus talking to the fallen angels. He's proclaiming victory over the fallen angels. And you'll especially see this in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And that's going to lead right into the Noah story. He's about ready to talk about Noah. And so some will interpret this, that Jesus is going, he's making proclamation over all the demons that I win and you don't. Some will say, no, no, he's not preaching that. He's preaching to those spirits who are in prison. Those spirits are in prison. Those are the people who believed in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Are those who he's preaching to? Is there a lot of different interpretations? Again, our very own Dr. Kistemacher has written a commentary on this. But let me tell you what I believe is happening in God's word here. And it's this. I believe that Jesus is proclaiming victory. He's proclaiming victory uh, throughout all time. That God is good. That he is savior and that he reigns. I mentioned earlier, flip back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And you'll see this in 1 Peter 1 verse 10. And as to this salvation, Peter writes, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicated as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Here's the whole deal of First Peter. He is saying you are suffering now, but there's glory to come. He is saying that look at our Savior. He suffered greatly, but because he suffered, he was given the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, that he went from suffering to glory, and so will we. And what Peter says is this is a story that's been told as time has begun. And as the prophets spoke, they spoke with the spirit of Jesus in them, this truth. And they spoke about a Messiah that was coming. Unbelievably, in God's grace and goodness to us, even right after our fall, as early as Genesis 3, verse 15, he promises a Messiah. He promises us that darkness will not win. He promises us that victory is secure, and he will secure that through his Son. And all that is proclaimed, listen, the message of the Old Testament is the message of the New Testament. It's about a God who loves and a God who continues to rescue his people. The people in the Old Testament were saved the same way the people of the New Testament are. By faith that God is going to provide a Messiah. In the Old Testament, they had to have faith that God would come through in Genesis 3.15. That a Messiah, a suffering servant, would come and set us free. How are they saved in the Old Testament? By obeying the law. Wrong. They were saved by faith. It's very clear. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that God had given him that saved Abraham. The people in the old covenant are the same saved the same way by God's grace for God's glory through faith. It's the same story. And so what is happening here? We're seeing very clearly that Jesus is proclaiming victory Unbelievably, before time began, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the Council of the Trinity decided to set a love on a rebellious people and to rescue them. 
It's called the covenant of redemption. And the father and the son agreed that the son would come and rescue those who were lost. And throughout time, God's people were waiting for it and longing for it. Is this it? Do you know that Genesis 3.15 was the first promise of the Messiah? And do you know that then uh, when Adam and Eve came together, they had a child and they named him Cain? And you know what that means? Is this it? They thought the Messiah was going to come that quick. But they were wrong. And they waited and waited and waited. And sometimes they wondered, are we going to win? Are we going to lose? I mean, the odds are such against us. Is God going to forget us? You're going to see in a minute, it's amazing the odds God's people have faced at different times. But Jesus is proclaiming victory. That God doesn't lose one. Listen, God doesn't lose one of his. And he is proclaiming that victory. So we see the spirit of Christ preaching through these pro- the prophets. And if you look back now to chapter 3. In 18, it ends with this. It talks about this incredible reality that Christ has died for sins once and for all and to bring us to the Father. It talks about this reality that sinners like us can stand in his presence. And how did he do it? He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And it's in that spirit in which, in the spirit, is how he went and made proclamation to the spirits or now in prison. Who are those spirits that are now in prison? Were there, they were those in Noah's day that he's talking about. Those who heard the good news that God is a God who will desires to rescue. And guess who they heard that good news through? Noah. He preached a sermon for 120 years. 120 years he pe- preached a sermon with his word and with his hammer. And he built an ark. And as he's building an ark, he said, this is the city of God. This is God's church. And anyone who wants to be saved from God's wrath, the only way you get saved is through this ark. We're going to see that that ark is ultimately going to point to Jesus. So who is Jesus proclaiming victory to? Those spirits who are now in prison, those that God patiently waited for, those who heard the gospel, the good news about God through Noah, who were once disobedient, now in verse 20. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. You know, sometimes I get a hard time with God's stories. I mean, you got to be kidding me, God. You're going to kill everybody and just save eight? I mean, you're going to wipe out humanity? I mean, what kind of God are you? Don't you care? Don't you love this image that you've created? How in the world, how in the world can a good guy wipe out humanity and save eight? I mean, what do we do with that? I mean, how do we say that God is good, that he's going to wipe out everybody else, man, woman, child, all, all animals are all going to be gone except for those that were preserved in the ark? How in the world can God be good? Tough question, isn't it? Well, it's amazing because he allowed this sermon. He, he was so patient that for 120 years he waited for one to repent. For 120 years, he had a man who was righteous and who believed by faith in God build an incredible ark. And it hadn't even rained yet. And they're looking at this guy saying, you're a lunatic. And they didn't believe. But listen, Orangewood, what just gives me joy is this reality, the patience of God to wait 120 years. And they just didn't get it. In the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, which a few, only eight persons, were brought safely 
into uh, the ark and through the waters. But listen, before we rail on God and say, how in the world can you save only eight and wipe out the rest? Let's look at what God says about those in Noah's day. If you'll turn with me back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6 verse 5 says this. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. That the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth. He was grieved in his heart. And skip down to verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's an amazing thing that what is happening here is, is that God is proclaiming the reality of his victory. That he is going to preserve. Listen, darkness isn't going to win. Darkness almost won in Noah's day. It was so dark. It was so dark that every man, woman, and child was evil in every one of their thoughts. It was so dark that darkness covered the whole world. And it was only one family that got it. There was only one family that had faith. And it was so dark. And can you imagine the odds of that family? Can you imagine them thinking it's not going to work? 120 years, every morning Noah gets up to build an ark and everybody just laughs at him. No one believes the sermon that he's building or that he's preaching. And yet God is going to save his own, even if they're only eight. God is going to save his own family, even if it's only eight. There's good news. And he's proclaiming victory that darkness isn't going to win, that light will continue to shine. And God speaks and brings light into the world, and he orders the chaos, and he creates paradise. And here's what he does. He creates man and woman to, to continue to live in that paradise and to bring order to the world. You know what God has called us to do? He's called us to bring light into darkness. He's called us to bring order into chaos and to make the whole world the Garden of Eden. That is what the story of redemption is in the kingdom of God. And I want you to know I'm just getting it. I'm just starting to understand this. But when God created Adam and Eve and he made them in their image and he placed them in a place called Eden and he placed them in a place called paradise, you know what he didn't say? Just stay here and work here. Just stay here. I don't want you to leave. He said, no, take paradise and make it throughout all the earth. Here, listen to this. Make the earth inhabitable for God and man to live together. Bring the kingdom of God to earth. Bring paradise Let people know of my love and my rule and my reign. Take paradise and bring it to the whole world. But man sinned and darkness came. And it looked like darkness was going to rule rule and reign and paradise was lost. But guess who came as the light of the world? Guess who came when it was ultimate darkness? And guess who shines? His name is Jesus. And he proclaims victory that darkness doesn't win. That sinners like us can find our way home. That paradise has been regained through Jesus Christ. And guess what he now calls us? The light of the world. He calls us the light of the world. He still wants us to bring paradise to this world. He still wants us to bring the kingdom and the reign of God here. We follow the one who is the light of the world, who was victorious, who proclaims victory. He proclaimed it in Noah's day. And they didn't listen, but he basically says, I don't care. You may be suffering. There may only be eight of you, but I will save you. And I will win. And I will rule. And I will reign. And the darkness will not prevail. Praise God. And not only that, he now chooses us to bring light into a dark world. Darkness seems to be winning. It seems to be covering the whole world. But there's good news. we got to proclaim the victory that Christ has won. We don't serve a loser. 
We don't serve a Savior who didn't win. He did. We have to be that city on a hill. Not only proclaiming victory in verse 19, and that's what I believe is happening, is Jesus is proclaiming victory. And verse 20 is this, proclaiming victory against all odds. God is calling us to be the light of the world. We are to be the kingdom, the visual kingdom of God on earth. We are to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. He does tell us that we're to seek the kingdom first and foremost over all these things that God wants to use us. He wants his rule and reign and the reality that King Jesus is king to be spoken through his people to all nations. That's why Jesus gathered his disciples and said, now listen, go. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you such power through the Holy Spirit. And go, bring the rule and reign of God, the love of God to all men, to all women, to everywhere that you go. Go and tell this good news that I won. That's what he tells us to do. No matter where you go tomorrow morning, no matter what you get up to go do, listen, if you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you are the light of the world right now. And he wants you to use this message. He wants you to, to proclaim the reality that God lives. He's proclaiming victory through you against all odds. You may say, Jeff, you don't understand my office. You don't understand those I work with. You don't understand my neighborhood. You don't understand the culture in which we work. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad out there. But here's the really good news. You don't go as a loser. You go because he won as a winner. And he wants us to proclaim that victory against all odds. He points to in Noah's day. Listen, it was eight against the world. Eight. Was darkness about to prevail? The Lord saw that darkness and darkness was winning. One family away. Listen, Satan was one family away from complete victory. But God saved. God saved, proclaiming victory against all odds. For 120 years, Noah was building the ark because God told him that, listen, a flood of judgment is coming. A flood of judgment is coming. And my rule and reign is going to come and people are going to see it. And how do you think he felt for 120 years preaching a sermon about hell and damnation? But really, it's a story of mercy that God is going to save his people. What was Noah doing? Listen, this is, this is what Noah was doing, exactly what we're called to do. Noah is building a city of God. Noah was preaching and proclaiming God's victory. Noah was preaching through his words, and he was preaching through his hammer. Every day you could hear that sermon. You see, we're God's people. We're called to do exactly what Noah did in his day, build the city of God right here. Proclaim God's victory through the, through the fact that the darkness did not and will not win. And we need to proclaim God's victory as long as God gives us life. It may not be 120 years. It probably won't. But we're preaching to build a city for God. And we're preaching it with our words and our hands. And we're proclaiming the reality that his kingdom is come. And he is victorious. Thirdly, not only we see the proclamation of victory, the proclamation of victory against all odds. Baptism is the sign and seal of Jesus' victory in 21. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. What does that mean? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, it was not, listen, it was not the floodwaters that saved Noah and his family. The ark did. 
The ark let him float above God's judgment. It's not the waters of baptism that will save us either. It makes it very clear the waters of baptism is not removing any sin. The the waters of baptism is not cleansing our conscience. Baptism is simply pointing to the one that does save us. What saved Noah and his family? It was that incredible ark. And you know, there's only one way to be saved. And Jesus is that ark of salvation through God's judgment. There's only one way. And baptism is nothing more than a sign that points to his blood. This water doesn't work. It doesn't even remove original sin, as some churches would believe it does for their babies. It doesn't remove any sin. It just points. It's a sign pointing to the one who does remove sin and cleanse us, Jesus. It's a seal saying that, yes, this is true, that God is our God and we are his. Baptism is a sign and a seal of Jesus' victory. It wasn't the water that saved Noah, nor is it the water that saves us. It is Christ. Baptism, I love, he wants to make it clear. Now listen, those of you who read this in black and white, you want to say, no, Jeff, it says baptism saves you, but doesn't it also say it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh? It's not cleansing you. And it's really, it's not even giving you a a clear conscience. The only way that you are cleansed is through the blood of Christ. This seals and engrafts us to Christ. It proclaims that we believe in the new covenant in Christ's blood. It's a proclamation that the kingdom has come and the darkness will not prevail. It's a proclamation that we are grafted into God's family. And you ready for this? Noah placed his entire family in the ark. Not just those who believe. He placed his whole family as a sign and seal. And we need to do the same with our kids Our kids are included in the covenant. God has given to us an incredible covenant of grace. And this is a sign and seal of it. And there's such great news. Our kids are included. Just like the entire Noah's family was there too. And you know what? I'd love to tell you more about the number eight. And, uh, you know, the number seven is a number of perfection. Why is there eight? And you know who's on that boat? Ham. Ham. And Ham is going to be the line of evil. And you know what's on that boat? Is you have the line of righteousness and the line of evil. And God in his grace had the wheat and the tares together. And because he was going to be so patient knowing that Jesus hasn't come yet. And I know that that's just like, I don't have time to unpack it. But it's just amazing to me. Listen, if you think you know everything about God's word, if you ever find someone says, I know everything about God's word, they don't know God. Or the God they know, you don't want to know. You don't want to know that God. This this text is just... I'm telling you, it's so incredible what is going on here as Jesus proclaims victory, a victory against all odds. And baptism is a sign and seal of that victory. And lastly, verse 22, who now, because of all what Jesus has done and through that resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Jesus is now, listen, he's not little baby Jesus in a manger. Jesus now is on the victory podium wearing the victor's crown. He has, listen, Jesus has defeated all of God's and all of our enemies. He has obtained that which is lost. 
lost. Life and life abundantly is now found in Jesus. He has regained paradise. The kingdom of God has come. Darkness will not prevail. And he is in heaven with the victor's crown, proclaiming victory to the angelic host, those around him and those who have fallen, to all of creation. He suffered and died so that we can live Philippians 2, 5 through 10, talk about his humiliation and his exaltation. The darkness didn't win. He reigns and rules on high. And because of that, everything is subjected to him. I am scared to death of what's happening in the Middle East. I am scared to death of the darkness that this world seems to be falling under. I am scared to death about a society in which my kids are growing up in. But I know one thing for sure, that Jesus won And because he won, we too will win. Darkness may seem to be winning, but it's not. This is a proclamation that, listen, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And because he lives, we live too. He proclaims victory against all odds. We're going to sing about that victory uh, as we leave from here. And we head in to uh, enjoy a fish fry together. So as the worship team comes forward, let me remind us. That our God has been our help in ages past. We look through scripture and we see the unbelievable reality that the prophets who spoke, spoke in the spirit of Christ. And we look at the unbelievable reality in the darkness of our own life that you know what? God has been our hope in ages past. And there's some really good news. That God will be our hope in ages to come. And a hope that is sure. And victory that is secured. Not only that, but he is our solid rock. And we are building our lives on him. Proclaiming his victory. Let us pray together. Father God, I thank you for the reality that no matter how dark it gets in my own life. And no matter how dark it gets in our community and in our world. The reality is that the light of the world has come into this world. And it's your Son, Jesus, our Savior. And darkness did not overcome. That there is a victory to be proclaimed. And sometimes we feel like we're eight against the world. But the reality is, Father, that your will will be done. You will rescue every lost sheep. The kingdom will come in its fullness. And King Jesus will be, uh, will be worshipped. Uh, Father, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Sometimes it feels like our message is, is not being heard. And we're not being successful. And yet we know that in Christ we have a sure victory. God, may whatever we do tomorrow, whatever school we go to, whatever job we show up at, may we proclaim Jesus' victory and bring the kingdom of God here to our community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.